Hi, I'm Lauren Hunter. And I'm Kate Vlasic. And this is Generation BSC. Yes, it's our bi-weekly podcast where we revisit the Babysitter's Club book by book, episode by episode, and talk about it, you know, our perspective today is geriatric millennials and maybe what we remember from reading them as kids, if we remember at all. <laughs> yeah, this is the one where I don't have a ton of recollection around good or bad. And I, I think I have some reasons for that, which we'll get into when we mm-hmm. get into the actual like book specifics. But what about you? Did any of this like come back or ring bells for you as as you were reading it? So it absolutely did not. And the further we get into rereading the entire series start to finish, I'm realizing I think my feelings on Mallory made me just decide not to read the Mallory books. Frankly, because I, I, I honestly have no recollection of this. The last Mallory book we read, I had no recollection of actually reading it. So I'm I'm wondering if if young Kate had the same feelings as I remember having about Mallory when we started this. Obviously, you and I have talked many times about how much better we feel about Mallory looking back at her now as adults, but I I think I just didn't read the Mallory books. I I'm just going to say that. <laughs> I, that would make sense. I I like I think I I had it in my head that I read up to like the hundredth book because mm-hmm. my neighbor had got me a copy of it and had it signed by Anna Martin for mm. me. Like she was at a book signing and it was like Christie's worst idea. I don't know if uh, we've talked about this at all, but the hundredth book was like a special. They were like, was the was this the end of the club? Mm-hmm. Spoiler: No, no, it wasn't. <laughs> they 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 kept going, but I like. Th- Looking now and then, like, looking ahead a little bit, I'm going, I don't think I actually read all that way. Mm. I think I got that one, and that's sort of how I, like, bracketed it in my head. But I'm having a lot of, like, weird – like, this is kind of – I mean, I know that we do this podcast every other week, but (laughs) this is kind of a, like, I'm having a moment of looking back and realizing, like, what I was thinking, what I wasn't thinking, and, like, Mm -hmm. looking at the Barbie movie and and a lot of the, like, Barbie looks and Barbie – through the years that they've referenced. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that I like. I remember Barbie being my sister's thing. And then going back and realizing like, no, that doll came out in 1992. She wasn't born yet. Like that was my Barbie. Like, you know what I mean? Like that was very, I had created distance in my head. Mm -hmm. I think when I hit that 13 year old, like feminist, like too cool. Yeah. That I just sort of like separated it out. So I think realizing some of that is putting some of the conversations that we've been having around this memory stuff in mm-hmm. in, a, in kind of a different context. And like, it's making me a little bit re-examine some of the the things that we claim to remember right. or like how we remember it. And I think that, that, that your point about Mallory is probably a really good one that you just like skipped over hers and then we're done with it and then never really thought about it yeah. again. But you have this fully formed picture because as a kid, you had a fully formed idea of who you believed her to be and mm-hmm. that just sort of anyway that's fascinating i mean it's kind of similar to how we are con- so convinced that she has red hair when once again in this one chestnut like really really clearly explicitly talks about the brown hair and yet we all when i see mallory i see red curly so you know it's it's i think it's memory's weird yo yeah. wow with this you can tell we don't have a ton to say about this book is we're already like <laughs> right we're like <laughs> You know, looking into the bigger picture and like thoughts on memory and all of that as opposed to the specifics of the book. Although taking that hair color into account, I'm pretty sure the cover of this book, she does have the red hair, which is she why does. it's like the descriptions. I it, I mean, we've been through this. It, it The book never – as much as we love our cover artist Hodges, I don't know that he necessarily always paid – 
super close attention to what was happening in the book. I think he was given maybe an idea. And I know that they used like real models and took pictures and then he painted from those. So maybe that's, you know, they just happened to use a redheaded model and he was like, sounds good. And so they just decide that Mallory has red hair on the cover, even though the books don't necessarily describe her in that way. Which is funny then that they decided to lean into that for like the TV shows mm. and the movie and things. Like I wonder, like chicken and an egg, what came first? I, you're right. I would I would imagine it's probably Hodges his original, and obligatory. This is where Kirsten Dunst was the live right. baby model for uh, Claudia and the Phantom phone calls trivia. <laughs> if, <laughs> we say that every time, but yep. <laughs> it's one of the like it's one of those standard babysitters club fun facts. Did you know? Yep. Anyway, um, but yeah, it it very clearly in the book uh, it, as we. We circle our way closer to talking about the specifics of the book. When she describes herself, she just talks about herself and her family all with the chestnut hair. So, like, it's it's really we're we're pretty deep in now for that not to have. Although, is it everyone that describes her as having chestnut hair, or is it her only Mallory's books? Because maybe That's fair. you know, because like Mallory always Anna complains about the 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 glasses and the braces and. Red hair as a kid, I could understand. I mean, Katie Schneller has talked about, you know, having strong feelings about her red hair as a kid. And so maybe that's a situation of of Mallory herself being like, no, no, I, I, I can't get around the glasses and the braces. I can, however, not describe myself as having red hair. I – yes. I never even occurred to mm-hmm. me, but that is very Anne Shirley, Auburn yeah, versus exactly. Carrots energy. And I – yeah, I totally buy that. My only reservation about that is Mallory being Mallory and the reader that she is, she would be making an Anne Shirley reference. That's true. You know, she would be the one like, you know, people may describe my hair as as red, but I, it's really a chestnut. You know, Anne Shirley had the right of it or something along those mm-hmm. lines. I feel like there would have probably been a little bit more of a wink to the audience in that way. And it is most likely exactly what you said it was, that Hajis Saleh got, you know, like a snippet of what this was. He created reference models and then just recreated them and then somewhere along the line. What as a kid, what are you going to remember more vividly? The covers that you see all the time in vivid color or one random adjective? And to be fair, in the part of the book that as a kid, certainly I skipped Every damn time yeah. because I'm like, yeah, I got this. I know this. Right. So I know who everyone have... is. I know how the Babysitter's Club works. It's fine. Moving on. Like I have to actively try to make myself like, yeah. concentrate and read those sections now just because there is stuff like that in there. Yep. And like how they describe certain things and how people talk about stuff. There, we, We've had conversations about that before. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. There's stuff to track. And it's still like, oh, God, here we go again. Right. <laughs> Back to the beginning. So – Anyway, speaking of back to the beginning, (laughs) we should probably talk about what book we're talking about. I mean, I guess we could do that at this point, I suppose. So if you haven't guessed, we are talking about a Mallory book. (laughs) This one is in particular Mallory on Strike. It was released in September 1991. And we do have ghostwriters for this one. And in fact, we have two, which I think this is our first two ghostwriter books. I think so, yeah. And um, new names, J- Jana, J-A-H-N-N-A. So I'm going to call that Jana. Yeah. Jana, Jana Beecham and Malcolm Hilgartner. So we've got a, a man-woman combo. That's yeah. in, That's interesting. I wonder if they were like a writing team or if they were paired together or, you know, like just just so happened. You know, sometimes like screenwriters, there's like a screenwriting duo mm-hmm. and sometimes it's just a couple of people got assigned it. Right. You know, so 
we'll have to we'll have to look for that in the future. Mm-hmm. In any case, I definitely could feel the um, ghost writer nature of this mm-hmm. one, but I I it makes sense that it wasn't one of the usuals because I wasn't picking up any of our sort of like Ellen's yeah. sarcasm and that kind of thing that we've been pointing out. So interesting. We'll have to see if there's hallmarks for these two. Mm-hmm. All right. Now to the fun part. Let's do the back of the book. (laughs) Mallory couldn't imagine not being in a big family like hers. There's always someone to do things with, and she likes to help take care of her younger brothers and sisters. But now, Mallory's working on an important writing project, and she needs peace and quiet. So why won't everyone leave her alone? Nikki needs help tying his shoes. Claire wants a sandwich, and someone has to break up the fights among the triplets. Mallory feels like a babysitting slave, and there's only one thing to do. This babysitter is going on strike. I mean, weirdly enough, this is the most accurate book description mm-hmm. we've had yet. It literally just describes the plot as it as it is, with with very little embellishment. Yeah. In a way, I'm disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I will say, and we'll get into what actually happened, but the way that the that back of the book description reads, it seems like Mallory is quote unquote on strike for basically the whole book when in reality it's not really until like chapter 12 and it's like literally a day and then everything gets resolved so it's just kind of funny that she's like she's going on strike for an afternoon (laughs) and honestly that i mean again we still need to get the the what actually happened but i'll tell you as a like general thoughts for me that right there is kind of my problem with the book Mm -hmm. is that it was there's so much good stuff in there that I feel like we like glanced at and then ran away from, if that makes sense. Yeah. So why don't you explain how that happened? Okay. (laughs) Let's do that. Okay. So Mallory's specific plot. We've got another book where the narrator's specific plot is basically the only plot, and boy, is this one a doozy. Mallory finds out in her super special creative writing class that Stony Brook Middle School is, immediately after having three authors come to the school for big author-centered research projects, having Young Authors Day, complete with children's book author speaking, a New York City puppet performance, writing workshops, and a school-wide writing contest. Mallory is, of course, very excited and definitely going to enter that contest and hopefully win Best Over all fiction for sixth grade. She has ideas for her story, but keeps getting derailed from her plans and schedule by nonstop requests from her parents and interruptions from her siblings. She repeatedly refuses babysitting jobs and ultimately asks to be demoted to associate member after she has a difficult sitting job where Buddy Barrett gets hurt, also citing her inability to find time to actually babysit. The girls get her to agree to a two-week break, and one Saturday she finally does what the title suggests and goes on strike from her family. She makes a sandwich board sign and tells her family she refuses to do anything or be interrupted at all that day because she has to write. Her family lets her be, including having Marianne and Dawn come sit when an emergency board meeting comes up at the library, one of a few hints in this book that the library is having financial troubles, and Marianne tells Mallory to talk to her parents about her issues and concerns. They actually hear her and give her a special day at the mall with Jesse and ultimately agree not to ask her to help if she's not free to do so, and allowing her to have some do-not-disturb time at the desk in their bedroom when she needs it. Mallory ultimately learns that she really does love her family and plans a special adventure-slash-explorer day for her siblings, including a zoo at the Braddock's backyard, a puppet show put on by all the kids using puppets they make themselves, and a treasure hunt. And Mallory, of course, rejoins the club and is happy. Also, Christy has a hectic sitting job with her siblings where she realizes what Mallory might be feeling on a day-to-day basis. Even rehearing the plot read back, it just feels <laughs> anticlimactic mm-hmm. in, in in a lot of ways. And that really is... So I alluded to it before. 
the big problem I had with this that I think, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, with again our caveat about the existential memory rabbit hole mm-hmm. we went down, but what did resonate with me, and I go, oh yeah, I remember nothing about the plot, but I remember being annoyed that the resolution was, oh, but I miss my family mm-hmm. when getting that alone time because it made me feel like shit because I did not feel like that. Yeah. <laughs> because I was really excited when I finally got like fully Laura in time, when mm-hmm. stuff was just about me, when I was just left alone, when there wasn't, you know, a million things going on. And then I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to finally get that time and then feel bad that I'm not with them. Right. I, I, that To the point where I feel like I need to go out of my way and plan a big special thing for them to apologize for being mean while they were being terrible. Like, I, it just felt like it made Mallory the bad guy mm-hmm. when she was the only one who would has done nothing wrong. Like, even the Babysitter's Club. Like, Christy, fuck Christy in this one, seriously. Mm-hmm. Like, this is school. This is life. This is, yeah, granted, it's a melodramatic 13-year-old. This is what I want to do. But, like, this is not, like, it's very similar to Claudia, like, wanting to pursue art and being told, no, the Babysitter's Club is more important right. than anything else. And, and, and that just... I don't I don't love that messaging for little girls. I don't love I love I loved the idea of Mallory standing up for herself mm-hmm. and saying, "No, I need this." I really appreciated that her parents said, "You know what? We're right. We we probably rely on you too much. We're going to go we're going to find ways to make this right." Why couldn't they have leaned in right to that? Instead, have brought it back around to, "Oh, actually what Mallory realized was I need to be around them more." She could have still had a like I miss them realization mm-hmm. and but have it been like, oh, I appreciate that alone time even more because it does make me appreciate them and stops right. me from driving them crazy, which is where I was. It wasn't like, oh, I hate them and I need to be away. Exactly. It was, this time makes me capable of loving you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I totally agree with that because I the thing that like when she first gets to the mall with Jesse and she's having a fun time and then she's like, oh, Claire would love if I wore these earrings. Like that, I love that. You know, like yes. it's not like when you're away from your family, you have to just like completely forget them. But the fact that she's like, I feel badly that I got one day at the mall without the rest of my family, and now I need to go out of my way to involve all of the children in the neighborhood in this, like, entire day of fun and frivolity and adventure. And, like, I appreciate that she loves to do things for her siblings. I don't think that this is the place to put it because, like you said, I I mean, I, I didn't necessarily, you know, I come from a smaller family than you do, but there were definitely times as a kid when I was like, I just want to be by myself. And I it, I would have – if I had read this book, I probably would have had a similar feeling to you like, oh, so I'm supposed to feel bad that I want to spend time alone just reading or writing or watching TV or whatever. Like I just want to spend time by myself and I'm supposed to feel badly that – that's a feeling that I have, which is ridiculous. Like every kid, every person needs downtime. Even if you're the biggest extrovert you've ever met, like you need time to just like chill and be by yourself and like recharge and pursue your hobbies. And yeah, I, and I, you know, going back to what you said about Christy, I'm also was super frustrated with how she handled everything because it was like they were getting mad at her for not taking babysitting jobs. And it's like the last book, 
Claudia was complaining about not getting babysitting jobs. So it's like Mallory's giving you all of the, the opportunities to have all of the babysitting jobs. Like, what's the problem? And like, she's late to one meeting by like 10 minutes because she's wrapped up in writing and like finishing her creative pursuits and like getting all the words out onto the page. And Christy like freaks out. And I understand, you know, she didn't call. She didn't let them know she was going to be late. Like, that's one thing. But it's also like she's 11. This is a babysitter's club. Like – chill out. You know, like like you said, you know, this is school. This is her hobbies. This is her like future career that she wants to pursue. And like she has the opportunity. She's in this great creative writing class for like the kids that are talented and creatively inclined in that manner. And for everyone to be like, yeah, but the babysitter's club, I mean, come on, you're you're turning down babysitting jobs. You want to be demoted for a couple weeks? Like it just... It's frustrating. It seems like strange messaging. Yeah. It seems like strange messaging for kids. Like, you should care more about this non-school-related, essentially social thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not entirely social. I don't know. It just feels strange that it was a a school-related thing. You know, it wasn't even like a – at least Claudia's art class was like outside of school. It was something extra. Yeah. But this is like – her literal schoolwork. And it seemed a little odd to me that the book was going hard in like, mm, <laughs> yeah. how dare you ask for time to focus on your studies? Right. How selfish of you. Well, and that was the thing I appreciated when she did her whole like schedule of like how she's going to find time to fit everything in. You know, she had her time for homework and then she had her time for writing, which like you said, it's it's part of school, but it's like a separate – thing that she's doing related to school. So like homework is one thing. Writing is another thing. You know, Mm -hmm. eating meals with her family is one babysitter's club, whatever. Like she had – and the fact that her schedule was dawn till bedtime nonstop filled. And it's like when, when, Christy, do you want me to fit more babysitting in? Because she already had babysitting jobs. She – like that that terrible job with the – with the Barretts or the – yeah, with the Barretts. Like – Okay. It's not like she was trying to give away the job she already had. She knew that she had taken those on. She was being responsible. But she says it's it, it's really yeah, the more I talk about this, the more angry I get because it's like she's being so responsible. Agreed. You know, like she's saying, I can't take anything else on right now. And it's only until this writing competition is over, which is in two weeks. Like, Christy, calm the fuck down. <laughs> she even goes. I think it would be best if I take a leave of absence, but I know Christy won't allow that. Right. Why couldn't that have been the plot? Why could that that would have been such a better so here's this is kind of one of the things that I'm I'm starting to realize, and especially as we're talking about it, is there is some very leftover boomer energy with a lot of the messaging mm-hmm. that gets packaged in this, in this like put yourself last. Yeah. Your role is is to support the family. Like Again, while I appreciate that the Pikes went did acknowledge that they were leaning on Mallory a little too much, I don't think it went anywhere near far enough. Mm-hmm. I think it was still the expectation that she's there to help parent the other kids with yep. them. Like, th- the things that they were asking her to do were the absolutely the inappropriate ones. Like, the mom was fixing lunch and she asked Mallory to go f- split up fights between the triplets. Yep. Like, no, 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 no. If you need help, you, Mallory can make some peanut butter and jelly. Exactly. She should not be parenting your children. Like, they don't ever go, oh, Mallory should have space. This is wrong at mm-hmm. all that we are turning her into a parent. It's 
we're doing it a little bit too much. Also, the triplets are only a year younger than her. Why is exactly what's the difference between eleven and ten? Like why why can't the the triplets? I mean, four of their children are over the age of ten. Four of four half of their kids are essentially the same age as Mallory. I mean, I understand it's a year, whatever, but like the fact that Mallory is being tasked with breaking up fights amongst the triplets, like the tri- if if this is how the Pikes want to parent their children, they need to put some more responsibility on the three 10-year-olds and not uh, also not just the one 11-year-old girl. girl. Uh, like uh, as I'm like talking, I was like, oh, 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 Uh-oh, wait, wait. Yep. It's not Same. just it's not just their age. It's also that Mallory's a girl. So of course yep. she's being asked to be responsible and take care of her younger siblings and help parent them on behalf of her parents. And God forbid we ask the three boys that are literally a year younger than her to take any responsibility, even just for themselves. I mean, literally, if if the triplets could just not be assholes and like make their own sandwiches, that's three kids that can take care of themselves. And maybe maybe you do ask Mallory to help, but you could also ask the triplets, like, what's stopping the triplets from making Claire and Margot sandwiches? Why does Mallory have to make them sandwiches? Like, right? <sighs> and not only that, but like when your little siblings have turned, are turning to a point where they're making a play about you called Mean Old Mallory, yep. because you have become a disciplinary, because you have had to set such firm boundaries to say, I am not the one who should be responsible for teaching you how to tie your shoes. Yep. I should not be the one responsible for getting the boogeyman under the bed. Like, I should be your friend mm-hmm. and like occasional protector. My, it's not my job to parent you. And they're asking her to parent and, and, Nobody – it feels like it does not go anywhere near far enough to to say this was wrong and, you know, we're we're sorry. And, and especially, like I said, coming back to that, her realization is, oh, she should be doing these things and she should mm-hmm. be sending more. That is where I get frustrated. And that is where a lot of this, like – that's what feels very much of that that old, you know, put everybody else before you and mm-hmm. your needs mentality that I think we are finally breaking some of those generational cycles. I think that this would be a great one. I would love to see like a more modern revisiting of this mm-hmm. where maybe it is a more close look at what exactly we're asking of Mallory. And like, I don't think millennial parents would do to this. I mean, not all that that's not fair to yeah. like blanket, but like. We're we're watching a lot of these millennial parents be you know grow up as Mallory and say I I'm not going to do right. that to my kids and let's be very fair I'm sure we're there we they as society right now we're doing plenty of things that are fucked up that you know right <laughs> right the next generation will will point out hey by the way you guys were doing this. <laughs> 20 years from now when we're still on like book 100 of this podcast based on our our rate, we'll be interviewing my niece and nephew and like they'll be telling us about all the fucked up things that we did to them that like, you know, so I'm, I don't, especially I I know I made the boomer comment and that, that was, that's not entirely fair. It's a little reductive, but that's just that generational cycle. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the things looking back on this and like looking at me now as a burnt out former gifted and trauma former gifted and traumatized no nope, still traumatized mm, yeah. former gifted and talented currently traumatized Ella's daughter you know like clearly y'all have heard all my issues come out of this <laughs> a million times over and I can see where I get a lot of my internalized like 
I'm not doing enough mm-hmm. guilt or like if I want to do something just for me, it feels like I'm not doing enough. Yeah. I, I literally just was having a conversation with my therapist this week about like trying to find the right balance between like self-confidence and feeling like it's ego, mm-hmm. you know? And and I feel like that all ties in all to this too. Yeah. Like be proud of the thing. Like this, even the as much as Christy sucked in this book in in a lot of ways, it's a lot of the same bullshit that that Mallory's putting up with. Like be in control and be in charge, mm-hmm. but not too much because then you're bossy. Right. Be be helpful and take care of your family, but also you need to make sure you still do well in school and and fulfill all of your other commitments. But as to your point, they even made the comment like, where's time for fun on there? And she was like, oh, didn't even consider yeah. that. And she gets no support from her friends. Like, not it's not just Christy that sucks. Jesse, uh, like, fucking punt Jesse in the sun in this book. <laughs> Maybe I'm more angry about it than I thought I was. I, I was I, – when I finished the book, I just kind of went a giant meh. Yeah. But, like, as is usually the case, talking about it makes me more passionate. But – the to the mean old Mallory thing that I was talking about earlier, Jesse like encourages that yes. and then laughs at it and then is like, Oh, maybe that wasn't nice. Like, what are you right? You are watching your friend visibly struggle. You are seeing her flounder. She is talking to you about how she is overwhelmed. She has made this big thing at the babysitters club where like she said the most god awful thing in the world that she may have to quit the club, which to them is like right. the equivalent of a nuclear explosion. And Jesse's response is to lean into her siblings laughing at her for being – for asking them to leave her alone to allow her to get what she needs. Well, I'm just – it's that's heating yeah. up now. <laughs> no, I totally agree. It's – yeah, I like, as I was reading this one, I was, like, angry and, like, frustrated for Mallory. And then – but then when I finished it, I was just like, okay, whatever. But now, yeah, talking back about it more and, like, as I was, like, preparing for us to have this conversation today, like, looking back at all, like, my notes and, like, rereading everything again, I was just, like, getting more worked up. And now, like, yeah, talking through, I'm just like, mm, I'm not not happy about this one. <laughs> but honestly, that's kind of all there is there there to this book. Mm-hmm. Like, there really isn't – like. It, you even mentioned the the non-babysitter's plot is uh, – that's one thing I did note on this one, that they did do a really good job of streamlining it. Yeah. And even Christie's aside was very minor. And like you said, it was just – I thought that was a really smart way to do that, for Christie to get a glimpse mm-hmm. of what Mallory was going through. I thought it was a good, interesting – you know, we we talk about the socioeconomic realities of things. And while they didn't explicitly call that out, I thought it was a really good, interesting compare and contrast of their respective relationships where Mallory, that's just the norm, the, yeah. the way that their family is and with their with their financial situation. She, you know, she talks about their house being medium sized, but it's really small for the amount of people that they have. Whereas they all always talk about, you know, how enormous and mansion Christie's mm-hmm. house is and the amount of help and access to help they have for all of those kids. That, that That's not something that Christie has to do normally. Right. Whereas that's just so the norm for Mallory. And I feel like we could have leaned into that a little bit more. Like, again, we've talked about how much do kids really care about the, you know, that socioeconomic right. stuff. But, like, I, I feel like it – there could have been some kind of comment where Christy or Mallory had a little bit of a realization that maybe they didn't even have to bring money into it. But, mm-hmm. you know, our family situations are, in terms of having big chaotic families, very similar. But based on the divorces and the blended family nature mm-hmm. and the money aspect, like there are a lot of different things that make those situations different that I think we could have just done 
even in the in 1991, just a little bit more right. of a job of leaning into. But that's a relatively minor nitpick. Again, I think that's probably not entirely fair. That is a little bit more of a modern, yeah. you know, lens and not aimed at six-year-old's lens as well, but fair. I, I think the thing that's frustrating about the Christie piece, I like, I appreciated that that was in there, and we got to you know see someone else have a, an experience similar to Mallory's. But like, I think my issue with it is that it's not really like, like I, I wanted it to be called out a little bit more, or there to be more of like a conversation between Mallory mm-hmm. and Christie, like you were saying. And I think yeah. the fact that you know it because it's Mallory narrating what Christie was going through clearly. The implication is that, you know, she read about it in the notebook or they actually did have a conversation if Mallory is able to tell this story. But we don't see them actually have a conversation. And like you were saying, I think it would have been great to have them be like – for Christy to like literally say to Mallory, I – and maybe not an apology, but I almost want it to be an apology. Like, I'm sorry that I've been so hard on I you agree. about mm-hmm. your family stuff. I – I've ne- – I'm not usually put in the same position that you are on a daily basis, and I'm sorry that I didn't think about what what that struggle feels like for you when you add an additional thing on top of everything else that's already on your plate. You know, this writing com- contest is something that you need to spend time on, and your time is already essentially taken up by everything else. And I never realized that because I don't think about you helping out your family is very different than me on a normal basis helping out my family. This this one Saturday, I really got to f- experience what your every day is like. And I'm sorry that I didn't take that into account when you were going through your difficult time and thinking about quitting the club because you needed something had to give and you thought that was the thing that had to give. And I'm I'm sorry I gave you such a hard time about it. Like, it would have been nice to get that because, like, like we talk about in all these books, like, there are so many opportunities to have that modeling behavior and make kids see that you can you can mean the best thing possible and hurt someone's feelings. And when you realize that maybe you went about something the wrong way, the thing to do is apologize. And I think mm-hmm. that that's a thing – and wow, now that I'm like thinking back, there's not a lot of situations in these books where we get actual apologies. And it, real accountability right. is not is like, pretty. So we get apologies, but no accountability. Like right. it's like sorry that this happened. Yes, or we all say sorry together. But there's never really a to like you said, Christy sitting down and saying. I did this. Mm-hmm. I didn't mean to, right. but I caused harm, and for that, I apologize. And right. I guess – I think that really is more modern, though. That's true. That is not how we were taught to apologize as kids. I, I certainly wasn't. No, that's true. And and I feel like when we were kids, and obviously these characters are kids when we were – you know, the, when these books were written, it was when we Roughly were kids. The same so age. it was yeah. the, 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 the universe of, you know, American middle class, that's how – the way that these books are written, these characters are written the same way with the same sort of thoughts and – It's the what we were growing up in. Right, it's exactly. The, 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 it's the social stew that yes. we were raised the in. Culture. The cultural stew yeah. was, was, was very similar for what they were experiencing and what we were experiencing right. because they were – 11 or 12 in 1991, and we were 6 and 9 in 1990, 6, 8, you know, yeah. 7 to 10, somewhere in there. I'm trying to do math, and it's, <laughs> that's not my <laughs> That's not suit. what we're here for. Uh, but, but uh, yeah, I mean, when we were yeah. kids, it was very much like 
saying sorry was the important thing. Actually saying oh, those yeah. words and not you didn't so have to much. Mean it. Right. And it, it you need to apologize, but you don't need to acknowledge what you're even apologizing for. Beyond saying like, I'm sorry that I hurt your feelings, or I'm sorry that I hit mm-hmm. you, or I'm sorry that blah, blah, blah. But it's never like like and like you were saying, you know, acknowledging like I didn't mean to do harm. But you were harmed, and I am sorry that I caused that. And that is that was definitely, like you said, that is not something that we were taught as kids. That's obviously not something that in the universe of the Babysitter's Club that those girls were taught either. It was more saying sorry is all that matters, and as long as you say sorry, then all is forgiven and all is well. And you know you can make the same mistake over and over. As long as you apologize every time, it's okay. And like, it's not. I vividly remember being told at times, you don't have to mean it. You just have to say you're sorry. And I'm like, that is so not the messaging. And it feels like it kind of, it's just that missing piece. And I think that that just is a shifting awareness. Like, because let's be real. In 1980, the sheer fact of saying I'm sorry at all and admitting any kind of wrongdoing was was kind of brand new. That was (laughs) just not... That can you imagine parents admitting any kind of fault in right. you know 1960s? Donna Reed, like my grandparents, would never no. admit any kind of you know parenting. You know that wasn't what it was. You didn't question authority. You didn't question right. if they screwed up. You were supposed to ignore that and move on, and it, because they couldn't be wrong because they were authority figures. Right. Anyway, so like it is this evolving thing. I'm thrilled now that we're we're mm-hmm. seeing that that change and and that we're able to call those things out because yeah i think you're exactly right i think that they're it's the empathy piece right it's not and that you know what that's exactly what has evolved in the 80s we started to get into sympathy Mm -hmm. think about the messaging we got around race relations around socioeconomics it was very much pity it was very much feel bad for them it was very much still an othering still a separation right. still about how would you feel if you had to be in that situation when we really recognize our our hope hopefully what i'm i'm seeing more of mm-hmm. what i'm certainly training on and talking about in in my work is that idea of empathy is not about how you would feel in that situation but about how they feel right. about that situation and I feel like in this book, we got sympathy from Christy. Yeah. Oh, this sucks. I I never have to do this. I get a little bit what Mallory, you know, but yeah. it, it's, a, it's still about her and how she's experiencing it. Exactly. Rather than, oh, this tells me, like you said, it shows gives me a whole different perspective on how you are experiencing mm-hmm. the Babysitter's Club. Feels like Christy got to that and was like, whew, glad I never have to do exactly. that again. <laughs> and, and didn't get to that next step of like – what that actually means for Mallory mm-hmm. and what that means that that is her day-to-day, every day, can't step away from this life. Exactly. I, yeah. I don't know. I think we kind of captured the big picture ideas yeah. on on some of this. So kind of switching us gears a, a little, unless there's something else you want to mention. You, you mentioned something that kind of sparked something for me. You were talking about, you know, how it was written, about how, you know, Mallory reading Christie's whatever, uh, her notebook entry, et cetera. Mm-hmm. One thing I did note in my notes before, you know, looking, like I said, I don't look at the ghostwriter ahead of time. I want to try to do my best to pick that out. I did notice that some of that stuff, the the shifting um, whose perspective that can feel very natural in a lot of books felt much more clunky mm-hmm. this go round, particularly the Jesse chapter when Jesse is watching the kids and they're doing the mean old meme mm-hmm. because Mallory is the narrator so she's having to tell us like what Jesse was thinking right. and how Jesse was feeling and then she talks about how she went upstairs while Jess and then she talks about Jesse still being down there and talk- and it just feels very 
Like, I get what they were trying to do with that chapter, I feel like, but there was probably a better way of, of yeah. doing that so that it did feel like the Christie one, that which it which worked, which was about you read Christie's thing and then Mallory gives her interpretation of, so, you know, here's what happened. Right. But she doesn't have to try to be in Christie's head in the same way where she's in the scene. Like, I think that's, that's what's weird problem. about it is yeah. that, that she's in the moment with Jesse and then is just trying to... To later describe what right, she's like, I don't know, telling it from Jesse's perspective, but she's also in it, so she's telling it, telling her piece from her perspective, but is part of the larger part, the larger story that Jesse's the main character of. It, yeah, that that chapter in particular was like, this is all over the place, and it was just clunky. Yeah, it 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 was weird, and I, I think that that's the thing, though, is as you pointed out, like usually when when we get those you know, random aside ca- chapters where another girl is the quote-unquote main character but being narrated by the main character of the book, we don't usually have the main character narrator in that scene in any way, shape, or form. And so it's, yeah. it it made it particularly weird. <laughs> like, usually when something like that happens, they have Mallory completely gone and then we'll be like, Jesse told me about what she was thinking later. Right. But to have – yeah, it was just – anyway, that was my big, like, uh, as you mentioned those chapters, I went, oh, yeah, I'd forgotten about yeah. that. I did call out, this feels really odd. And so as new new ghostwriters and a team, I can see how both of those things right. could have contributed to it just feeling – because it wasn't terrible. It was just – it was clunky it is the only weird. word I can think yeah. of. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. And and the other big thing that felt clunky is you mentioned it in your uh, your summary the fact that why are we doing this author thing again <laughs> why couldn't it have been the same author thing just say this was happening yeah right exactly like oh right you heard about this from Marianne's perspective but also we were doing this writing competition as part of this larger event you know like the eighth graders were doing their research project and the sixth graders were trying to write stories or whatever like or make it a book week that would have made way more sense exactly yeah like oh the eighth graders did their thing last week ours is this week like it's all kind of like a, like a book at month or something exactly. where they like are doing but like tie them to don't just not acknowledge that we did two major author things like where major authors come to our school and talk back to back without any kind of acknowledgement that the same exact thing happened in the last book. That just seemed – that to me seemed like a clunky, weird ghostwriter. Right. I, you know what it honestly felt like is it felt like a um, a writer's room that maybe got together and like, oh, we should do something around authors. Mm-hmm. And then each of the – everybody pitched how the girls would interact you know, with an author's day so they can pick which one it makes the most sense. And I'm sure that m- – you know, Marianne wasn't the initial first choice. It would be obvious that it would be Mallory. Right. And then they're like, oh, but this really works for her too. We might as well do both. I don't know. I am – how many times have I written fiction about how they've come up with these decisions? But I, I don't know. It just – it was such an odd – again, just a little clunky. It wasn't like it ruined anything. Right. But it was enough of a clanger that it made it, – it put up sort of a defense for the rest right. of the book, if it makes sense. Like stuff like that chapter, stuff like that just was enough of a – uh, that it take, took me out of it, right? Because if you start thinking about that, like going behind the scenes, like why, why would they do the big research project and three authors come and then literally the next regular series book have an author, a young author day or whatever? Like, why would they do that? Who? What were they thinking? Were they initially thinking it would be the same event, but then they decided that that continuity would be too weird? Like, it makes you, it makes you, it takes you out of the story, like you said, and it makes you yeah. think, like, well, wait. Why? Why did they do that? 
that's that's dumb. Like why that makes no sense. And so then you're focusing on why would they even do this? Why is this young author's day even happening in this book? As opposed to like what the story actually is. And a lot of things that we point out like that, those nitpicky, like uh, authory things, admittedly would have gone over my head extremely as a kid oh, and for certainly sure. do for 99% of the, the kids in the population. I know for a fact that I've been that asshole continuity stickler my whole life. Mm-hmm. Like that's the – because I, that is the stuff that I loved. The reason I loved series is because I loved that reward of like right. knowing who the characters were. And I loved – I still love – I you know, callbacks and in-jokes. Yeah. Like it – that makes me feel – as lame as it sounds, it makes me feel really cool to, like, get that stuff. Yeah, right. You're, like, part of the in-group because you understand the references. So stupid and silly, but, like, the opening of Barbie as the 2001 mm-hmm. homage, you know, I'm cracking up and I realize my mom, you know, she's laughing. She thinks it's funny, but she doesn't really get it. Uh, and then, I like, I can see – because she's just not a movie yeah. his person in that way. And she doesn't like sci-fi, so she's certainly right. never seen 2000 – like, she, not, Kubrick, like, is way too – uh, you know, weird and out there for her <laughs> yeah. and then sci-fi on top of it. So just just not her thing at all. So I didn't feel like smug and superior, like, haha, I know something that you don't. Mm-hmm. And it did make me feel like part of an in-group yeah. where I felt like the same with using Closer to Fine and good Lord, the call out on the Pride and Prejudice. Like it yeah. feels very seen in a way. And I felt like that when book series, when TV series care enough to like mm-hmm. make those little things. And in fact, that's one of the things that I love so much about the Babysitter's Club. In fact, I think they do that for the most part very well of right. rewarding those little things. In fact, just in this one, I called out when they're doing the here's where you know here's how the club started whatever mm-hmm. you know they mention the first job with the with the pets and yeah. and like that is a fun little it's a very quick aside but it's a fun little call out that rewards the kids and us who have been reading from the beginning and have been paying attention and have been remembering those things and i love those moments so when they completely biff it in that way for no good reason when it would have been such an easy thing to explain or it one line right mm-hmm. it took it would take no real effort to make that fit that to me feels frustrating because it just feels like a lack of a lack of care right and that is not what i associate with the series at all certainly the things that we've talked about care is like at the top of the list exactly. for you know culture but still missing the mark sometimes but for the most part mm-hmm. to your point earlier about about intention really good intentions across the board like really really great trying really hard to treat kids as little humans right and not just you know idiots and talk down to and so when they don't take those opportunities it's just a little disappointing because i know that they're perfectly capable of it they do it so well in other places exactly yeah and it's and i think that's the thing is like when they don't that's why it's so glaring and why it takes us out and makes us be like what what like thinking about that behind the scenes stuff because usually they do do such a good job with that and so when they don't it's like what how what just happened how did that happen so yeah and that was my only real timeline thought for this one, too. I should just get that out of the way yeah. here because they don't – mean this is completely – they don't mention, like, Saturday. They don't mention, like, Tuesday. They just say day. Right. <laughs> Ta- like, morning, evening, like, 530 yeah. Right. And on basically, Wednesday. like, there's two weeks of the, the writing contest time. And that – it's like, okay, when did it start? When does it end? What time of year is it? And even that is very nebulous and confusing. Mm-hmm. Like, clearly timing is not not a thing with this one, which, again, would have made it a lot easier if they just would have said, 
you know, we're doing a book fair. Exactly. All this stuff is happening around it. So nothing really there to add to our ongoing timeline conversation other than this is probably a perfect example of what we are, you know, time bubble theory. Right. This just kind of, this feels very much like an alternate reality offshoot of last week's book in a very strange <laughs> yeah. way for that matter. So Yes, it's happening in the background of Mary and Mrs. Logan. Exactly. Well, I kind of love that. I, I mean, honestly, like, I, I feel like, I feel like if we did map it out a little bit better, we could figure out a way that all of the Babysitter's Club books do fit into one calendar year. And you know what? It would make sense that, like, Marianne would just be completely oblivious to all of this stuff going on right. with Mallory. And, like, we don't really hear about Mallory in the Marianne book. We don't really hear about Marianne at all in this book other than they're at the meetings. Like, being 13 and 11, it would make totally sense total sense that you would right. be self-absorbed if Mallory's obsessing about this contest while Marianne's worrying about, am I getting back together with Logan and the Koki Mason of it all? Uh, those two things could absolutely exactly. be happening at the same time with neither of them commenting on the other because they're so right, they're caught up, up in, in their, their own. own thing. And like Marianne wouldn't care about participating in a creative writing project contest because that's not a thing she's interested in. So yeah, yeah. I, I think that that yeah, I think I think the headcanon is this book and Mary and Mrs. Logan are basically the same one month period or two week period or whatever whatever the overall timeline is. I think I think that that's just makes sense. I love it. Approved. Okay, I like it. Perfect. We'll go with that. We we've, we've started our our overarching all of the books take take place over the course of one year theory. Oh, you have just – we've created a monster because I can tell you right now at some point I'm going to hyperfixate on this and there is going to be a Charlie Day-style string wall <laughs> with me like, okay, I've, I've been threatening this yes. for a while. But again, we got, yeah, like we said, another at least 20 years. So. <laughs> it, it's it's just going to keep going and eventually we'll we'll get that grand unified theory of the Babysitter's Club, Stony Brook We universe. will make it happen. I have faith in our ability. Yes. I love this for us. Any other – Bigger picture things? Do we have any random thoughts? Do we want to just jump to fashion? What what are you feeling, Lauren? Yeah, no real other big picture thoughts. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is kind of related to big picture, but it's more random and it, it, it's sort of its own little thing. Just the the absolute certainty of Mallory, and we, we see this with Claudia too, and it is very preteen, but the the certainty with which Mallory believes that if she wins this best overall fiction, not only does that – is that – proof and and backup and confirmation that she is the most talented, but it is an absolute guarantee that she will be successful as an author <laughs> later in life. And like, boy, do I remember that yep. that feeling and that that need of, well, let's be real, my, my need for external validation is still way too strong. <laughs> Feel you there, Mals. Um, and like that really, I she just kept, at one point she was like, if I don't, if I win this, this means that I will become a successful yep. author. And I was like, oh, God, that is the most true-to-life 11-year-old thing ever. That is so I, – I felt that in my core. Yeah. No, I I really like that. I also – you talking about that reminded me of how – in what high esteem she holds her creative writing teacher. We didn't even touch mm-hmm. on him at all, but, like, yeah. she is obsessed with him and obsessed with his the, – the external validation, his, you know, sort of positive feedback and guidance and – just wanting everything to be 
you know, want, wanting to be the, the star pupil and getting the best feedback of anyone in the class. And I think that it, it goes sort of hand in hand with winning the contest is like, if she mm-hmm. can get him to, to believe in her, then she's definitely going to be successful. And I just, it was, it, I, we don't get a lot in these books about specific teachers. And so that, mm-hmm. I, that was something that I noticed also in this book that was like, huh, we're getting a lot of, what is it, Mr. Doherty? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I can't remember. She, she mostly just calls him Mr. D, so that's why it's not sticking in my head. But like, she she talks about class with him multiple times. She talks about him multiple times in her like monologuing narration, and it just is interesting because we don't get a ton of teacher stuff in these books, and this one in particular, we got a lot of Mr. D. I was a little worried we were gonna like veer into mm. Veda Seltenfuss, my girl, like yeah. in love with the teacher territory, and I like. That's cute in my girl, but I don't I, not for Mallory. No, just didn't feel right for these books. So I was like, ooh, yeah. I, I, I think that's why I was getting nervous reading it because there was such yeah. a focus on him, and I was like, where is this going? Because yeah, I definitely got the my girl vibes, but thankfully, yeah. very pleased to report, yeah, nothing, no, no weirdness. And he seemed like a a supportive teacher, and there was no awkwardness or weirdness on either party's behalf, and. Mallory literally just seemed like she wanted him to like her writing and think that she was going to be successful, which was great. He's a published author. That was what she was attracted mm-hmm. to in the 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 sense of being not sexual attraction, but like drawn to. Right. He had achieved something right. that is her life goal. And so that is why, well, if he can do it and he believes that she can do it, then it, therefore, exactly. by, you know, process of transference or whatever that <laughs> psychology phrase, you know what I mean? Yeah. That means that... I think that's actually science, but um, transference, psychology is a different thing. English major, theater major, we'll leave it there. Um, uh, The point is, she is drawn to the fact that he has accomplished something that she wants to accomplish Mm -hmm. so that if – from in her mind, and this is so kid, I love that, that if he believes it, well, he would know. So, therefore, that is the be-all, end-all. Like – I remember when, you know, you'd have, like, Broadway people come in and speak Mm -hmm. to a class, and you'd be like, oh, my God, if they think I'm good, then that must be – I'm like, when they are just struggling as hard as, you know, everybody else to get – They're not casting directors. Exactly. Third swing in a Broadway company is not going to be able to go, oh, my God, you're the best. I've I've, I've discovered you. This means that you will now be successful. I think the word you were looking for, the phrase was transitive properties. That's what it was. Yeah, I was like, wait. Wait, I'm, it's coming into my head. I think that's what this is. Except, again, not a science major either, so. Transference is psychology, yes. but that's when you, like, put feelings for somebody else yes. on some – Yeah, that's like when you're, like, in love with your therapist, even though you're not really in love with your therapist. Exactly. That – yes, transitive property is the science one that's like, yes. if this, then it yeah. carries over it. Exactly. Carries, okay, yeah. Okay, wow. I love this for us. We're, we're being so smart today. Yeah. Speaking of smart, what was the fashion like in this? <laughs> oh, boy. The, I did appreciate that because it was a Mallory book, you know, there have been a few books where we were like, wow, no fashion, even though it's a Mallory book or no fashion, even though it's a Marianne book. We got some good fashion in this one. We got a lot of fashion in this one. So I chose three, but we had a lot more than that, which was kind of nice. So nice. We will start with... The original description of Claudia because there's like four outfits in it because they're all just options that she might wear. So yep. 
Claude is artistic, ultra-trendy, and gorgeous. She's Japanese-American and has these beautiful almond-shaped eyes and shiny black hair that is so long and straight. I had to start with that part of the description Mm -hmm. because you know we love it. It's still there, guys. She wears it a million different ways, a French braid with sparkly ribbons woven into them, or sometimes just pulled up on one side with a wide barrette that she made herself. She makes her own jewelry out of clay or paper mache. Sometimes she'll wear a pink flamingo in one ear with a palm tree in the other, and then put a tiny gold monkey on top of the palm tree. She has two holes pierced in one ear. Claudia can wear anything, and it looks great. Like, she'll wear polka dot leggings with a short red skirt, then she'll wear a long sleeve t-shirt with a black vest, covered with cool pins that she made herself over that. Sometimes she decides to go 50s and wears penny loafers with white anklets. I was just talking to my mom this weekend or last weekend when I saw her about the penny loafer thing. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what a cra- I was obsessed yep. with having penny loafers and getting the penny in there and making sure like it was the right penny, yep. it was shiny and like oh man, that was that was the height of of preppy coolness at that early 90s mm-hmm. era. Oh, loved that. So I was very excited to see that called out. Yeah. Especially when it's, it was always, it's always fun to see stuff called out when you wore it. You're like, oh, I did that. You're right, exactly. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. I was totally on trend. I love it. Oh, Claude, never, never fails to deliver. I know, I know. And and these are just options of things that she might wear. And I just love it. And the thing, that's what's so fun about that description is like, you know that Mallory has just like a catalog in her brain of like, all the things that Claudia wears that she's like obsessed with because she's so aspirational. And it's just funny that she's like, and Claudia could wear this or she wears this or sometimes she does this and sometimes she does that. And it's just so cool. And she's so awesome. And she made all her pins herself and she made her earrings and she made her barrettes. And like, it's just, I I think that whenever we get that from Mallory in her books and her narration about Claudia and sometimes Stacey, but usually Claudia in particular, it's just always so... It feels very true and honest to who that character is. A million percent. Because I had two, and I've I've talked to them about a little bit before, and it's my like weird Gen X to young millennial um reference points because mm-hmm. I had, you know, those two older neighbors that I, right. I used, that used to let me like tag around and watch 90210 with them. And it was very like I would think about them and describe Kelly and Stephanie the way that Mallory talks about Claudia. And so I'm like, like Stephanie gave me like bead necklaces once and I wore them like not I was like, oh my God, this is like the yeah. coolest thing. And she was just like getting rid of stuff from her room. You know, that kind of energy and it feels so similar to that and that they really do there are some of the things in the as clunky as some of it was some of that 11 year old energy that we've Mm -hmm. been talking about throughout is is really really spot on yeah that that felt that yep for sure so the next description because it's it's mallory describing herself and it's just like the complete opposite of claudia and i just had to have that just juxtaposition so On Tuesday, I wore my navy blue wool skirt and knit sweater vest with a white starch blouse and penny loafers, so I would look more studious. It's extremely important to me that Mr. Doherty take me seriously. So obviously that's a little bit more focused for Mallory, but like it's – but she got the penny loafers in there too, which is kind of – I although I feel like for Mallory that's more like – Mrs. Pike bought her penny loafers and she's like, well, this will make me look studious as opposed to when Claudia wears them and it's like – a choice. It's just funny. It is so funny how something like that can be so dorky on one person and so cool on another. Mm-hmm. Like, there are things that I have seen people like wear and be like, that is the coolest thing ever. And then I'll go try it on and I'll be like, that does not look cool on me. It yeah. just looks wrong. And I, so I love that they sort of 
have that compare and contrast. You're exactly right. that it, it would be, It's a choice on Claudia. And with Mallory, it's just... These are your fancy shoes for school. Yeah. And then the last one is Mallory's outfit from her special day at the mall. So... Sunday, my special day. I couldn't wait to get started. I was so excited that I changed clothes three times before finally settling on my jean skirt and jacket, bright red tights, sneakers, and multicolored earrings that Claude had made for me. That's a lot of denim. It's a very Canadian tuxedo, but it which feels, I'm not mad at. It feels right for for Mallory to be like, Try hard. This is so cool. I'm wearing my denim jacket and my denim skirt. And look at these sweet red tights that I threw on. I am hot shit. I'm going to the mall. Yeah, it does. It That feels very like me at that time. Like, And that's part of – we've talked about this before. My Mallory complicated feelings yes. are like, ooh, how much of this is like, ooh, dagger. It mm-hmm. hits like – even though, like, being convinced that if if I get this one thing, it's going to mean everything is going to be fine. Like, that is so, still the way my brain freaking yeah. works. The only other fashion thing that I called out at all was when she described how the author looked yeah. and how that was, like, a perfect – and I can't remember. It was something like in – I'm trying to find it in my in my book. Oh, okay. I've got – oh, you've got it. Okay. You've got it? Yeah, I've okay, got it. Okay, go for it. Okay. The author is Pam Reed, by the way. P-A-M-M-E yeah. is her oh, first. Oh, I was calling her Pammy just to oh, be an asshole. That's I, fair. If, if you're going to spell May, like I that. Mean, that could be what it is. I was just like, Pam. I But it – well, let me let me read this description. And yes. that's why we'll, we'll just go with uh, Pam Pammy. Pam Reed looked like an artist in her Indian print skirt, brushed leather vest, white blouse with puffed sleeves, and sleek boots. She had shoulder-length red hair, which fell about her shoulders in thick, beautiful waves. I decided then and there that if by some miracle I survived the next half hour and didn't keel over from nerves, I would try to look and dress just like Pam Reed. All we are missing is the turquoise and some fringe. I mean, it just screams like what we thought of as artistic was all Southwest inspired. Like that was a very weird time for us as a nation. Very weird. That was, I mean, and it was just so ubiquitous as like, that's the look. And everyone knew. The (laughs) cultural image of what it meant to be an artist was, you know, kind of uh, wild hair, Mm -hmm. layers, flowing clothes in the, in Southwest themes in those colors with that, with that turquoise jewelry and like, Lots of silver, lots of banglies, lots of cha- – like, just exactly what she described. Also, the Indian print, which was just – yeah, that that's always a fun – Yeah. Was having that conversation and – because someone was asking, is it Native American? Is it indigenous? I just – I always just stick with Indian because I'm always going to get it wrong. I was like, oh, okay. Well, that's a lot. You are always – I was like, well, that is how you get it wrong. Right. I was like, because – Either one of those may or may not be right, depending, because people aren't monoliths and have people have right. preferences. And I can tell you that there's only one wrong answer, and you're using right. it. So. Yeah. Anyway. You were absolutely wrong if you use that one. So maybe try a little harder. I don't know. Just just, just one of the others. Um, anyway, but that, that jumped out at me yeah. as a, of course, that's how they described it. And I knew I could picture, I could see Pammy, like, in my head so clearly. I, you know, mm-hmm. she's every art teacher on every kid's show from, you know, 1987 yep. to 1997. Um, and we still get those every once in a while. But that has sort of fallen by the wayside. Mm-hmm. I think it's as more millennials have just um, rejected the idea of changing how we dress as we get older and, you know, leaning more into tattoos and mm-hmm. being trendy and in our own way. Clearly not trendy the way that Gen Z thinks. Right. We're, but – very different than 
the idea of of how things may have been right you know traditionally um that it, it I, I think some of that has changed a, a little bit but because we all kind of dress more like that now if that makes sense yeah or we like some of those inspirations have just sort of like permeated mm-hmm. but yeah like i'm trying to think i don't know that there is sort of a cultural monolith version of what an artist looks like anymore now i think there's like different kinds of artists right. you know but but that that for a time there art teacher meant one thing and it was that description yes very specific okay well any anything else before we wrap it up the only other really minor thing that stood out to me is this was another cover that had absolutely nothing to mm-hmm. do with the book. Uh, you know, like I said, that's always fun for me to go back and then, you know, look at it after I've after I've read it and and compare and contrast. And right. This is like a fall scene with them like playing with leaves in the backyard, it looks like. Yeah. Which we never talked about fall. Um, it it's I mean, I guess it did come out in September. So if we go by our Right. theory of it coming out roughly when it, it's set, that would make sense. But it has absolutely no bearing on the book. So I just thought it was an interesting, like, okay. But I, then again, how would you really – well, actually, no, there's many things you yeah. could do to illustrate this one very easily. The sandwich board exactly. is a pretty indelible image. And so very and clearly goes with the t- exact title on exactly. strike. So it was an interesting choice. Yeah. We'll just say that it, and leave it there. It is what it is. They, It might be a situation where they have just like – Okay, here's a photo shoot of the Mallory stand-in, and she's playing with leaves. She's sitting by a pool. She's sitting in her backyard. Like, you know, so <laughs> which it, one of mix and match? Right. So it's like, oh, it's a Mallory book. Uh, which which painting do we have available? She's playing with uh, with leaves in the backyard. Great. That close enough. Let's just throw this one on here. I don't know. That's. I mean, the books really are, especially if it's if it is just Haji Soleil doing all these covers, and, it, and as it was, mm-hmm. you know, they had ghostwriters pumping them out once, right. once a month. But he's having to come up with a new cover every for every one of those books. You're right; there probably was. Again, we have just built our own story for how, <laughs> how this all worked. But that would make sense to me that they just have like a bank of Mallory covers, right. and then based on the the plot, they pick the one that sort of best fits. And if if it doesn't, it's just you know, yeah, pick a random. Yeah. That's what this felt or like. Or they, like, plan ahead sometimes. Because, like, for example, Christie's Mystery Admirer, like, that cover is a scene from the book. So You're right. that one they definitely planned ahead. But, yeah, the this book is, Well, like, that was also early on. That's true. Remember, that was very – when it was just planned on being those four or five and they were planned out very, you know, strategically. Now we're getting into – Well, that was book 37. Burn. So. Nope. Claudia – oh, no, you're right. You were talking about mystery and yeah. Myers. I was thinking Claudia and the Phantom Phone oh, Calls. Yeah. I was still thinking of Kirsten Dunst. Yeah, that You're one. Right. Never mind. And but to your point, that one was also very like on like something plot specific from the book. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. I, this would be I, this is the kind of stuff that I would like love to know more mm-hmm. just because it's fascinating to me the mechanics of how this all the, the, this was a huge machine. Yeah. Like this is on this was uh, culturally maybe not quite the same level, but like. Similar to like an MCU in that it was constantly pumping out, mm-hmm. you know, new product and 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 that was conversation fodder. So anyway, interesting. It's always fascinating to to think about that and how how that all logistically played out because obviously that was not on our radar even a little bit yep. at, at, at that age. So okay, so maybe we need to move on to some predictions for our next book, yes. which is Jesse's Wish. So do you have any recollection of the book Jesse's Wish? For some reason, the 
title rings a very strong bell. It is it like for whatever reason it feels as familiar as like the truth about Stacy in like mm. in terms of like a title I know this book. Yeah. I think I can see the cover, but I think I'm envisioning the one where she learns sign language crossed with the phantom uh, of the dance hall where oh, she's yeah. in, the, in the locker. I don't know why I see sort of an amalgamation of the the two, but uh, no, I don't. I, I'm trying to to like remember anything beyond the familiarity of the title, and I don't. So I'm going to pretend. Let's go with. Um, well, what what about you? Obviously, you, mm, you were talking no. about not remembering much of these. Yeah, so. no, no recollection of this one whatsoever. Okay, good. In terms of that means we can just have fun. So let's say realistic prediction. Um, her wish is to be the lead in a some new dance. Um, no, her wish is to go to a new dance school in New York. Like there's an opportunity to like up this her her training, but obviously training in New York is a whole you know Stanford is its own, it's its own complicated thing, but New York is a whole other level. So her wish to do that and how that you know is that going to work out and and there's lots of things that they could do there with like family needs versus your needs and you know anyway so that's that's my prediction for what her wish is uh a realistic one anyway i mean the obvious answer for outlandish is she finds a genie <laughs> she's got a wish she's got a genie and she's going to go on some adventures and uh we'll we'll uh i don't even know what that would be but but definitely there's a genie involved in the outlandish version okay my realistic one is her wish is to go to horse camp. Okay. So she goes yep, to horse like camp that. because she loves horses and needs a little break from the dancing. So she wants to, you know, spend a week riding horses. And my outlandish one is, um, you know what? I'm just going to steal the plot of Wish Upon a Star. And she <gasps> yes! and who's, who is she going to switch bodies with? She is going to switch bodies with. Actually, we're we're gonna make it a a wish upon a star slash Freaky Friday. She and Aunt Cecilia are going to wish okay. upon the same falling star to have each other's lives, and they will switch places. And she'll learn about Aunt Cecilia and herself. And in the same way, Aunt Cecilia will do the same thing, and they will have a closer relationship at the end of the book. I love this. No notes. Um, <laughs> Now I want to go watch watch Wish Upon a Star. Like, not going to lie. I know. And Freaky Friday. And Freaky Friday. Both of the Freaky Fridays. Yes. Okay. So any other final club business before we wrap this one up? I think we should just remind everybody where to find us. We are on Instagram at Generation BSC. Technically, we're still on – well, it's now X, Ugh. but we're still there uh, for – we're not going to actively delete it. Right. But we haven't – We're not really – Put anything up there since before – you know, the takeover and we're not really, you know, terrible people. We've looked at threads a little bit. We're still, you know, seeing blue ski, blue sky, whatever yeah. it is, what, wherever people are going, we'll, we'll play with that. We'll mm -hmm. figure out eventually um, another, another avenue. But for now, the best place to get us is our Instagram at generation BSC, or you can email us at generation BSC at gmail.com. And uh, it's been a minute since we've made the request. If you have a hot second and you can rate, review, subscribe, either on Apple iTunes or now Spotify is letting you do some mm -hmm. reviews, that would be great. That really helps our visibility and helps us share the BSC love. So we would appreciate that. We love hearing from you all. Thank you all for interacting with us. It's the most fun part of this yep. uh, for, for both of us. So 
I'll shut up now. Yeah. We definitely love it. Because <laughs> I'll get sappy otherwise and just like <laughs> go off. Yeah. That never happens. I can't imagine either of us ever getting sappy about anything. Never. Okay. So with that, I'm Kate Vlasic. And I'm Lauren Hunter. And this episode of Generation BSC is now adjourned. Say hello to